Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Hey, 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 how are you? This new intro from you. I'm trying so, it out. Changing it up. I'm trying it out for size. Are you going a little crazy? I'm going a little crazy. Keeping them on her toes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Big toe. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the big toe. Yes. What else? You have something to talk about. Oh, I yeah. do not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel so silly. <laughs> uh, I, I'm so mad at myself. I, in my last Instagram post for last week's story did not include the picture of the judge with her tiny powdered wig. And I... Oh, no. It was a mistake. It was fully a mistake. Can you re-upload? I, well, I didn't want to re-upload the whole post, but I... And I also, like, didn't want to just upload a picture of her because it... <laughs> <laughs> it kind of felt like bullying a little bit, you know? Not really, but, like, I don't know. It'd be a weird, like, yeah. picture to just Here have solo. This judge. Um... But I, I think I'm going to include her in, in this Instagram post just at okay. the end as like a secret sneak surprise. Yeah, no, I don't think I even saw it. Yeah, no, so. no one saw it but me. But it's it's fun. We love her powdered wig. I mean, no bullying. It's not like it was It was just silly. I liked it. I mean, it. it's not bullying. It's reality. Yeah, it was just I liked it a lot. But anyway, a bunch of people pointed it out. And I was like... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. They were like, <laughs> what was it? A perfect person. Exactly, yeah. And I was like, it genuinely was a mistake. I did mean to do that. Oh, well. But anyway, as far as other podcast news goes, that's like, you know, important. Nothing is coming to mind. I really should write stuff down. But here we are trying our best. But yeah, anyway, this week we're going back down under. Down under. Yeah. Going back wow. to Australia. Sure. <laughs> that was terrible. Anyway. You tried. Yeah, but we want to talk about it this this week's episode story. Should we talk about Sh- it? Story? Yeah, that's like why we're here. Because I guess podcast? really sure. I'm in a I'm in a silly goofy mood. Yeah, Can you we tell? had a, we had some weird energy. It's been a studio. silly it's been a silly goofy day, <laughs> but let's get into it. So my sources for this story are from the show I Shouldn't Be Alive. The episode was titled "Left for Dead on Mount Everest." spoiler, the New York Times article written by Bruce Weber in 2012, a number of Wikipedia pages, as well as an ABC art news article written by Louise Mayer. Is it an MLA format? Would you like it like that? Yes. Am I going to get um, a failing Points grade? Points docked. Major. Okay. Well, I Cite your that. sources correctly. Right. So we're going to be talking about Lincoln Hall today. Okay. And... I'm sorry. It sounds like a museum. Well, it kind of does sound like a museum. And I'll, I'll say it for the end. Oh, okay. A little surprise. <laughs> sure, yeah. But, um, and also Mount Everest, which I'm sure you either saw in the description or in the title. We don't know what for the title sure. is yet because yeah. we haven't gotten that far. She is that bitch. Standing <laughs> tall. Yeah. Oh, Mount Everest. Yeah, I thought you were talking about Lincoln Hall. I was like, <laughs> that's a man, but go off. <laughs> Different pages. Yeah, no, but Mount Everest is crazy but we'll get into that there you go is it a whole thing it's a whole thing i need to center myself this is serious okay (laughs) anyway breathe breathe deep yes lincoln hall was born on december 19th 1955 in canvera australia sorry if that was incorrect pronunciation He went to Telopia Park High School, and he studied zoology at the Australian National University and learned to climb in the Australian Capital Territory. He developed his ice climbing skills in the snowy mountains at Blue Lake and trained to climb by traversing the walls of buildings at his university campus. What? Could you imagine going to class? Parkour! (laughs) You're, like, you know, studying really hard for... Uh, calculus you're exam. Stressed out. You're wearing your Stre- sweats, walking yeah. through the like snow. Yeah. I guess like you, not you just drink a full cup of coffee and you're wired. Yeah. You're anxious as hell. And, and then Lincoln this Hall's guy, on the walls, like parkour, parkour, parkour. He's just having the time of his life. Just not a care in the world if he drops to his death. Just yeah. scaling the building. Yeah. <laughs> what a life. Truly. He had his real start with mountaineering when he participated in the Australian National University Mountaineering Club, which had expeditions to New Zealand from 1975 to 1978. So he was all over the place, climbing whatever mountain he could, big or small. And he wanted the big ones, because obviously he's Lincoln Hall. Sure. 
Australia has snow. I'm sure parts. I'm ignorant. I don't know. Tell me. It's a big place. It must be the farthest south, though, right? You ever heard of Antarctica? Like, yeah, but (laughs) I don't know. Are they close enough? Like, what's happening? Well, no, but... I don't know. I always thought Australia was, like, the desert and, like, hot as hell, my damn under. I think parts of it are hot, but I'm sure... Yeah, in Canvira. I'm sure other parts are cold. I don't know enough about it. I don't know. Somebody's going to message us, like, you dumb motherfuckers. (laughs) Why don't you Google it? Give it a goog. Okay. Give it a quick goog. <laughs> Does Australia have snow? <laughs> Did it say, yes, of course it does, you dumb <laughs> motherfucker? It's a little known fact to those who are not from there, but it does snow in some parts of Australia. Okay, there we go. Snow in Australia happens for three months every year in some parts of the south, turning them into winter wonderland destinations for locals and tourists alike. I figured as much. I mean, you know. I mean, he's a mountaineer. You know. We sound really fucking stupid already, and we're not even 10 minutes in. It's only downhill from here, folks. Whoa, okay. Stay tuned. I hope this isn't your first episode stumbling upon us. Could you imagine? You're like, we're done. I promise we're not this bad all the time. (laughs) Let's get back to it. So this mountaineering club from 1975 to 1978 led to the 1978 expedition to the Himalayan peak Denagiri in India, where he had his first brush with death. Hall and his climbing partner Tim McCartney Snape were invited by expedition leader Peter Cocker to join him so the pair could force through a route and get to the summit ridge. After pushing to the summit, he and his climbing partner Tim McCartney Snape descended through an electrical storm. So they're coming down huh? through an electrical storm on a mountain, which sounds scary to me. Don't yeah, like that. I'm in a little danger. Yeah, however, Hall had to spend another night on the mountain because it was too dangerous to, I guess, come down at that time. And Cocker ascended during the night and then had to meet them where Lincoln had to be helicoptered to a military hospital near Delhi. And this was at the time possibly the highest helicopter rescue in the Himalayas. Really? Yeah. Was it during the storm? I don't think you'd be able to... Maybe he, like, spent the night and they got him, like, went and got him later? That sounds right. There wasn't a ton of information on this specific rescue mission, and we're not even going to... just going to brush ...spending a ton of time on this one. I helicoptering during an electrical storm. Yeah, that actually sounds wrong. Yeah? You know, the more that I think about it. I'm sure they just had to spend the night through the electrical storm, and then they were helicoptered and rescued, and here we are. Sure. But he made it through. After that, he had a lifelong obsession with climbing that started in the 1980s. And to me, that's like when someone gets their leg bitten off by a shark and they're like, let's go swimming with sharks. (laughs) We're going surfing, dude. We're going surfing. That's like uh, Chris Lemons. He's like almost died three weeks later. He's saturation diving again. Oh, yeah. It's just what he loves to do. Exactly. He's got some chutzpah. Yes. So the 1980s, which is when he had his first attempt at climbing Mount Everest in 1984. And he was part of the first Australian expedition to ascend Everest and trace a new path for climbers not carrying oxygen. Word. Wait, they summited Everest without oxygen? No. So he didn't summit. Part of his group did summit, but he did not. Um, The expedition survived an avalanche, and two of his companions did achieve the summit, but Lincoln wasn't able to and had to turn back a few hours short of the top when it became clear that it would have been extremely dangerous to continue on. And he was heartbroken. I'm sure. Yeah, because, I mean, summiting Mount Everest is no small feat, and he was very close. You know, like, maybe, what, a thousand feet away? I don't know the exact feet, like footage but he was a couple hours away which is very close to the top wow yeah that really sucks yeah and now i'm gonna throw some everest facts at you let's do it okay so mount everest is earth's highest mountain above sea level located in the himalayas and there are two main climbing routes one approaching the summit from the southeast in nepal known as the standard route and the other from the north in tibet And Everest presents dangers such as altitude sickness, weather, and wind, as well as significant hazards from avalanches and the Kumbu Icefall. So, falling ice. Falling ice? Yeah. Not good. As of 2019, over 300 people have died on Mount Everest, and many of whose bodies remain on the mountain. 
Yeah, it's quite the uh, retrieval mission. Yeah, we're going to get more into that specifically later. So but eerie, though. Yeah, when I first heard about Mount Everest, I, like, I mean, like, specific facts about Mount Everest and, like, people who climb it and all this stuff, I was floored. It is insane. Honestly, 300 sounds low. I mean, you know I'm I mean? sure there are more than that, honestly, because there are 300 recorded deaths as of 2019. But I mean, you know, people yeah. I'm sure go up and don't come back, you know? Yeah. And I didn't know this, but it usually takes about two months to climb Mount Everest. Wow. The so he took two months and then turned back. Yeah. Oof. And not not only that, but it's extremely expensive. And I'll get, get to that in a second. But the entire climb takes six to nine weeks. The first week is used to arrive at base camp and then, you know, slowly make your way up part of the mountain. And then next you spend three to four weeks going up and down the mountain to establish camps with food, fuel, and oxygen. So you need all this like stuff to get to the top because the very tippy top is like, you can't stay at the summit for more than like 20 minutes. I mean, people have and they've survived for I think there was one guy who stayed at the top for like, I don't know, over a day. And he was like the only person to like ever break that record or something. But it's it's called the death zone. A human can't, like, survive at that oxygen level and, you know, all this stuff. So Unless they have, like, some genetic mutation or they're, like, a Sherpa. Well, even Sherpas. Who, like, uh... But even, even Sherpas, like, the people who aid other people in their ascent to the summit, you're not supposed to stay at the very top for more than, like, 20 minutes because you can very easily get altitude sickness and fall into a coma and die, like, very quickly. Yeah, not good. No. Mount Everest actually grows 44 millimeters every year, and this occurs because of the continuous shift in tectonic plates pushing the Himalayas upwards. So it's literally always getting harder to climb. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Those extra millimeters. Yeah. And the average cost of climbing this famous peak is around 50,000 pounds, depending on the level of support required. There was a range from like anywhere from 25,000 to like 75,000 or something like that. But the average is around 50, which is around $66,000 in like US dollars. And yeah, it's like a a full year's salary of a good job before taxes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why for so many people, like you can only ever do it once in your life, if ever, you know? Right. Because you need the support to do it. And it's so much money. It's a big deal. Yeah, Lincoln wanted it. Oh, yeah. So he just basically wasted like 70K. Well, he didn't waste it. I mean, he didn't get to I'm sure in his mind, though, you know? Yeah, I'm sure he was hard on himself, but it also like wasn't his fault. It's not like he couldn't, he couldn't have, you know, kept going for himself. It was literally an avalanche, so. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero not because they have special powers it's because in spite of what they've gone through they keep on going i find them remarkable please listen to chatholic and hear their stories yeah that's interesting you yeah. just survive an avalanche like how right. do you do that he survived an electrical storm an avalanche i'm sure many other things in like what do you his other how climbing. do you survive an avalanche or like did they just get lucky or did they like hide behind the tree like i, I don't know what did they do that's a good question <laughs> yeah i mean like what's the move if you see an avalanche coming towards you hey dude what's the move what's the move <laughs> do you just kind of like duck and cover probably pray yeah sounds good to me <laughs> okay But now let's get into the specific story we've come here today to talk about. His second attempt at climbing Mount Everest. And this was 22 years later after his first attempt. He was now aged 50 with a wife and family, and he knew that this was his last chance. He had just turned 50 and knew that he was nowhere near the physical strength that he had in his younger years of climbing, so he knew that the only way he'd get through this was with his mental strength. And everyone knew the dangers of the climb ahead of them, so at the lower camp, one of Lincoln's closest friends and expedition colleagues, Mike Dillon, was monitoring his climb, which is a pretty good friend, if you ask me. I mean, that's pretty cool. Fair enough. Yeah. 
And close to midnight, Lincoln was preparing to leave at the pre-summit camp with his two Sherpa guides, and he still had about 1,800 vertical feet and a nine-hour climb ahead of him. He also knew that in 2006 alone, 10 climbers had died attempting to reach the summit. And this was in 2006. I don't think I said that at the very beginning of this part of the story. Sure. But already 10 climbers had died. And yeah, Lincoln was climbing in the dark at this point because they started at midnight, like I said, with, you know, he's climbing with a headlamp and he was in what was called the death zone. And in the death zone, the atmospheric pressure at the top of Everest is about a third of the sea level pressure, resulting in the availability of only about a third as much oxygen than normal to breathe. And temperatures can dip to very low levels, resulting in frostbite of any part of the body exposed to air. And since temperatures are so low, snow is well frozen in certain areas and death or injury by slipping and falling can occur. And high winds at these altitudes on Everest are also a potential threat to climbers because they're literally climbing straight up. Like a lot of this climb, they are literally digging their like spiked, yeah, their spiked boots and ice picks into a sheer icy rock wall and climbing up. Like, wow. yeah, like this is no joke. <laughs> like you, you gotta want it. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that is an understatement, but you yes. You gotta want it. And debilitating effects of the death zone are so great that it takes most climbers up to 12 hours to walk the distance of 1.72 kilometers or 1.07 miles from SoCal camp to the summit. How long? 12 hours to walk about a mile. The debilitating effects of the death zone. Yes. Might that include death? <laughs> yeah, it could. That's the whole point. Many people die in the death zone. Sure. By 6 a.m., he had reached what was known to climbers as the second step, which is a metal ladder that was placed on a sheer rock face, you know, cliff going straight up to aid climbers in it was put there in 1975 and this is the marker that you are about to hit the final summit ridge to get to the very tippy top of mount everest and finally the three of them make it up the second step and then they very slowly but surely make it to the summit of mount everest Lincoln was absolutely overwhelmed with joy. He said he'd been working toward Everest for 25 years and he was finally at the summit and it was absolutely incredible. The summit of Everest has been described as the size of a dining room table. So you have almost no space to be standing. And it's also, you can't, you can't breathe, <laughs> really. Right. And you've been hiking for 12 hours, completely straight up. And you, <laughs> at this point, you're like, only halfway there you know right insane i'm sure it must be the most one of the most insane feelings in the entire world so he called down to mike dylan and told him that he had reached the summit and mike then congratulated him but reminded him that he was only halfway there and they would celebrate when he got back down safely because getting to the summit of mount everest although it seems like it's what you're working so hard for you have to work just as hard right after immediately after to get back down safely and lincoln knows that they need to start their descent very soon and you don't have that extra boost of ambition to keep you going when you're going down right now you're just tired and you just want to be done and lincoln said that he felt that really hard he was exhausted and he felt extremely lethargic And while the three of them were hiking down, one Sherpa in front of Lincoln and one behind, Lincoln immediately passed out in the snow. He was suffering from a severe form of altitude sickness. This is an oxygen starvation causing blood vessels to leak fluid into your brain, which causes pressure in your brain, and it's not good. Yeah, no. One of his guides calls down to Mike Dillon down at base camp and tells him that Lincoln is down and is suffering from cerebral edema, which is a medical condition in which the brain swells with fluid, and individuals with this condition must immediately descend to a lower altitude or coma or death can occur, like, extremely quickly. And the pressure that has been put on your brain has nowhere to go, so you go delirious before you die. Sometimes instantly, and sometimes it takes a while. So it was really a crapshoot. They had no idea. 
And Mike knows that someone with cerebral edema at that height has a very low chance of making it back down the mountain because this was essentially right after they had come back off of the summit. So they are a couple of steps, I mean, from the summit and he hits ground, you know, he's out. And it's not like these Sherpas can carry him anywhere at that height, you know? Right. I mean, they're descending a sheer cliff, right? Yeah. I mean, there are plenty of uh, spots like that. So if he's not like lucid and he's not able to physically walk steps, he is left for dead. Yeah. Not good. So Mike asks if Lincoln is talking or moving at all. And they tell Mike that he's not. And since they are still so close to the summit, it would be impossible for the two guides to bring Lincoln down with them. Over the decades, more than 200 people have been left for dead near the summit of Mount Everest. And below the summit, there's an area known as Rainbow Valley, filled with dead bodies still wearing their brightly colored winter gear. The entire mountain is marked with dead bodies. All the way up, guides will use certain bodies to know where they are on the mountain. One of the most famous is called Green Boots. And Green Boots was the name given to an unidentified body of a climber that died on the main northeast ridge route of Mount Everest by a cave. And his body is curled up in front of this cave at 27,890 feet or 8,500 meters and is littered with oxygen bottles and, you know, other various things. And it's right below the first step of the path. So climbers going up the mountain know of green boots and use this body as like a marker in the trail. And there are plenty of other bodies like that throughout the entirety of Mount Everest. That's so weird. I can't imagine being a Sherpa and just like every, you know, just business as usual is using bodies as markers. Well, I mean, people die so often on Mount Everest that it's like, it just is part of the job description, you know, like there's, there's no guarantee that you're going to come back, you know? And most of the bodies on Mount Everest remain there because it's too dangerous to remove them. So some of them are buried or removed if, if it's possible. But for the most part, if you die up there, you stay up there. Yeah. In your gear. So, you know, there's green boots, there's red coat, there's sleeping beauty, there's this one, there's that one. Like it's, they're all over the place. So strange. Yeah. Dark. It's extremely dark. And that's when I said, like the first time I heard about all the facts of Mount Everest and whatever, I heard it on a true crime podcast. Oh, actually I heard it on my favorite murder. Karen was talking about Mount Everest and all the dead bodies on Mount Everest. And I I was like, so captivated listening to this because I was like, what the hell? Like, this is just normal. Like these people pay 70,000 pounds to go and look at, I mean, it's, it's obviously not about the dead bodies, but it's like, what the hell? It's such a high death rate. Yeah. It's so scary. But I mean, it couldn't be me. Like I wouldn't, I would not be caught dead on Mount Everest. Well, sounding. Maybe Sound I would quite be. nice, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, maybe I would be caught dead. I would be dead. actually caught dead if I go there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. But um, yeah, I mean, I'll stick to my nice, my nice regular Ground. hikes. Ground. Yeah, normal hikes. That's about it. So let's get back to Lincoln. Not doing great. Suddenly, thankfully, he opened his eyes and he knew that he was on Mount Everest near the peak and he slowly gets back up. So he's like awake and also like kind of with it, which is surprising. Kind of miraculous, right? Yes, it is extremely. He knew that he needed to get off the mountain as quickly as possible, but the fluid on his brain was making it so he didn't have a lot of control over his body and was, he was moving extremely slowly and could hardly walk. He was incredibly weak and said that it was only his mind that was pushing himself forward because it took everything in in him to move one leg at a time. But miraculously, they made it back to the second step. But this means that he now has to repel himself down a sheer rock face at 28,000 feet above sea level. Right. So... Easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy for someone barely conscious and has no control over their body, right? Just tie him up and throw him down. (laughs) Kinda. So the second step is often a place where people die. And to make matters worse, Lincoln's mental state was quickly deteriorating. He was incredibly confused and in a trance-like state. And to make matters even worse, question mark, worse, you get it. It was worse than it was before. There was a third Sherpa that had just appeared 
okay? So now there's three Sherpas total at the second step. And this was because this third Sherpa was leading a climber up to the summit who had just died directly below them. Oh my God. At the second step. When Lincoln heard this Sherpa say this, he completely snapped because he was delirious and and confused and in like a trance-like state. And he starts freaking out and he starts fighting the Sherpas. And he tries to get to the edge of this 11,000 foot sheer rock face to jump off of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. He was completely delirious and made it to the edge to jump before one of them grabbed him and pulled him back down to the ground and threw themselves on top of him. Could you imagine these Sherpas like, oh my God, fucking customer service jobs. (laughs) (laughs) No, but on the real though, like... I don't, they, you know, they're not getting paid enough. Me, like, show me the lie. Oh my God. They're literally saving lives all the time. I mean, but if That's you're paying insane. 50K for two months, not bad, right? Oh no, not, I mean, you know? I'm, I was I'm mostly sure a good joking. chunk of that goes to the Sherpas. Yeah. I mean, I was most, I think it, it goes to the Sherpas. I'm sure they're paying the Sherpas to, cause it's for the support, which is the Sherpas. Right, yeah. But I mean, it's dangerous. It's an incredibly dangerous job that they're risking their lives every single time they do. And it's at things like this where they're like literally stopping someone who's fighting them on the edge of a cliff yeah. who's trying to jump off and could pull them off. And they like pull them back from the edge and throw their body on top of this crazy person. Like, would love that's, to interview these is, people. Is that in the job description? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what? But then all three of them held Lincoln down in the snow on the edge of this cliff until he calmed down. They then called Mike again at base camp, who was pleading with Lincoln over the radio to get back up and come back down the mountain because the Sherpas couldn't carry him down, like I've said, and they couldn't stay with him because either way, it would mean death for all of them. And so Mike's pleading got through to Lincoln because he wasn't hearing like logic. Like they were saying things to him, but it was just going in one ear and out the other. Like it just, nothing was going through. And I think the familiar voice probably snapped something in his brain. Mm. So Mike's pleading did get through to Lincoln and he gets back up and now he has to repel himself down the second step by himself and is still in this confused state. And he gets about halfway down the cliff face before he starts hearing voices. He panics badly and immediately thinks that he's going to die because he's you know. <laughs> dangling off the side of a mountain like he could. And he starts flailing and he passes out again and he's suspended at 28,000 feet. And then he starts hallucinating and miraculously comes to dangling from this cliff. Could you imagine like so, coming to the situation? Yeah. No. Yeah, no. Just drop me. I'm I'm good. That sounds horrifying. Yeah. One of the Sherpas at this point was next to him repelling. And he's kind of like, hey, man, we got to get down. (laughs) Like, you got to pull it together. (laughs) Like, hey, man. In so many words, that's what he said, you know? And by some stroke of luck, he was able to repel himself the rest of the way down. So now that they were back to hiking down Mount Everest, the Sherpas took full advantage of the fact that Lincoln seemed to be re-energized and they kept at him, telling him to move and move and move, just like trying to keep him as energized as possible. But all the extra time they had taken to get Lincoln this far meant that they had no more oxygen, which was extremely dangerous for everyone and mostly for Lincoln, and it was probably going to kill him because they're all wearing oxygen masks the entire time, and because it was taking so long, they ran out. So now all three of them are in a lot of danger, but Lincoln already is struggling with his oxygen intake, and he's gonna die. Like, he, he could, very easily. Right. And because of this, it didn't take long until Lincoln was back down again. He collapsed once again in the snow. And this time, when the Sherpas called to base camp, they informed Mike that he was breathing extremely slowly and that he had essentially lost all hope at making it back. The Sherpas even tried putting a finger in his eye and he didn't respond, which meant that he was in a comatose state. So he was in a coma. He's out. This was when Mike had to make the extremely difficult decision for the Sherpas to leave him on the mountain. Oh my god. 
because if they stayed with him any longer, there was a good chance that none of them would make it back alive. Right. The Sherpas were actually told to cover Lincoln's body with rocks, but thankfully this particular spot had no rocks. Because, spoiler alert, he's not dead. Right. It's the whole point. It's the point of the podcast. <laughs> so they, they said a quick prayer for him and gather a few of his belongings. And by a few, I mean his pack, his oxygen, his water, his everything. Except for the clothes on his back. They take everything for his family and they leave him for dead on the mountain. This is not the point of what just happened, but I'm thinking, like, why are we bringing an empty oxygen tank back for his family? I guess they were just taking, like, his Anything that they had. Yeah. Jesus. Like, I don't know. Like, why? Is it that impossible to bring somebody down, like, in a sled or something? There was no sled. They didn't have one. It's like, leave a couple up there? I don't know. Littered all over the mountain? Well, I don't know. If you need one. It's a big place. I know. It's just fucking... You don't want it to happen. No, of course not. But, you know... I can't imagine that being my reality. No, for sure. I mean, I can't either. It, I can't imagine climbing a mountain and being like, oh yeah, there's like 300 so dead yeah, bodies. Oh yeah, there's green boots. Yeah, exactly. He's a famous dead body. And they don't know exactly who he is. Like there's, there's speculation. They think it's this one person or they think it could be this other person. But they don't know. Mm. There's plenty of people that they're like, oh yeah, there's just so many dead bodies up here. What? I mean, I understand, like, as a mountaineer or, like, as a climber, this is the epitome of what you've been working toward. Like, it is the most dangerous and, like, extreme thing you could possibly do and conquer. And, like, that's so impressive. But, like, goddamn, like, you want to risk your whole life? Yeah, gotta risk it for the biscuit, baby. Ain't that the truth. (laughs) God. But back at base camp, Mike knew that he had to call Lincoln's wife, Barbara, and deliver the news that Lincoln had died about 20 minutes ago. I couldn't do that call. Yeah. I mean, they knew going in that, like, this was one of the most dangerous things he could possibly do. He has kids, too, right? Yeah, he has two sons. And they thought he was dead. But let's get back to it. So about three hours after being left to die, Lincoln woke up from his coma. He was extremely disoriented and dehydrated, but still alive. He sat up and looked around for his pack that had some really important things, like a warm thermos, a headlamp, and some extra clothes, but the Sherpas had taken it with them to give back to his family. His immediate thought was that he was going to die. Since he had no oxygen, no shelter, no gear, how in the world could he possibly survive? And that night, the temperature dropped to negative 25 degrees. Wow. Fahrenheit or Celsius? What does Australia have? Because it was... Everything that's not America does Celsius, I'm pretty sure. So I'm going to go with Celsius. Okay, not as bad, but still not good. So in Fahrenheit, it would be negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit. There you go. That is extremely cold. (laughs) A little bit. And the wind was whipping around him, so I'm sure that extra wind chill was... The wind chill was negative 40. Exactly. If he fell asleep, he knew that he would drift back into a coma and die of hypothermia. So all night, he rocked his body back and forth in a circular motion to keep himself awake and told himself that he needed to stay awake. Because he remembered that he told his family that he would come back and that he you know, made a vow to always take care of them, and he needed to do this for them. So that's what was driving him forward. Even though he was in this extremely confused state, he was like, I need to stay alive. By the early hours of the morning, Lincoln was losing the battle with hypothermia and was so cold that he couldn't feel anything, which was when he realized that he couldn't feel his fingers, and he took off his glove to see that his fingers were black with frostbite, and he said he recognized the feeling of, like, quote, a wooden feeling, because his fingers were literally frozen solid. Wow. And this is when more of the symptoms of the deadly level of hypothermia set in. Lincoln began feeling hot and started undressing. This is a sign of advanced hypothermia and a sign that you are extremely close to death. He had a hallucination that he was wearing a warm cloak, but the warmth of the cloak was actually the warmth of his imminent death. This was in his hallucination. So he knew that he was about to die. And that's when he had the horrible realization that he would never see his family again. And he said he couldn't accept that, so he couldn't wear the cloak of death because he had to come back to his family. 
12 hours after he had been left. He was incredibly still alive and still near the summit. His hat and his gloves were off. He had his snowsuit unzipped to the waist. His arms were out of the sleeves and he was sitting up against a rock. He was so out of it that he thought that he was on a boat. Wow. And all of a sudden, there were people there with him. Leading one of the very last climb parties of the season, Everest guide Dan Mazur stumbled upon Lincoln completely by chance. No way. Yup. It was the last day that anyone would be on the mountain for the season. And four final climbers and Dan Mazur had found Lincoln. The team of climbers immediately stopped their attempt at the summit and their focus was completely on trying to save Lincoln. Mazur said, the summit is still there and we can go back. Lincoln only has one life. Miles Osborne, who was on that very last team with Dan Mazur, described finding Lincoln. He said, sitting to our left about two feet from about 10,000 foot drop was a man. Not dead, not sleeping, but sitting cross-legged in the process of changing his shirt. He had his down suit unzipped to the waist. His arms were out of the sleeves. He was wearing no hat, no gloves, no sunglasses, had no oxygen mask, regulator, ice axe, oxygen, no sleeping bag, no mattress, no food, nor water bottle. He said to them, I imagine you're, you're surprised to see me here. He said that? <laughs> yes. He said, I imagine you're surprised to see me here. Now, this was the moment of total disbelief to all of us, which is still Miles saying this. Here was a gentleman, apparently lucid, who had spent the night without oxygen at 8,600 meters, without proper equipment, and barely clothed and alive. So, a bit crazy. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. Dan Mazur said when he found Lincoln, he had a very wide-eyed look in the face, and he was in very bad shape. Lincoln was so delirious that he kept telling them, this was a brilliant boat ride we're on. So he was, I mean, he did say, like, I imagine you're surprised to see me here, but he also still thought they were on a boat. So he was very much hallucinating. And even though they found him while he was still alive, there was still no telling whether or not he would actually make it back. Because clearly he's experiencing the late stages of, of cerebral edema, which is what he was first experiencing that made him pass out in the first place, and also hypothermia. And both of those things are deadly. But Dan Mazur knows that this is what he's experiencing, so he immediately puts an oxygen mask on Lincoln to alleviate some of the pressure on his brain, and he also gives him some clothes and some chocolate to raise his blood sugar as well as water. And suddenly, after a few minutes on the oxygen, Lincoln was pulled back into reality and he knew where he was. He just couldn't remember anything. And he was literally pulled back from the brink of death. By chocolate. <laughs> exactly. Correct. Chocolate alone brought back Lincoln Hall. Thank you, Godiva. <laughs> Today's episode. <laughs> Not sponsored. Unless they want to. Hey, Godiva. Throw some bones. Okay? We could say that Godiva saved Lincoln Hall's life for money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Dan Mazur then radios down to their base camp and asked them if they had someone named Lincoln Hall on their team. And Mike Dillon told Dan that yes, they did, but he died last night. And Dan was like, nope. He's looking he's, at him. He's alive. He's nibbling chocolate right now. And Mike said he was still in a state of shock because none of them had actually fully processed that Lincoln was dead. dead. Yeah. And now they had this extra piece of information that he wasn't dead. And now there needed to be a rescue mission for him. So they're like, what? Like, what the hell is going on? Because they, you know, they had their toast to him last night and they, all, they were all sad and they called his wife and it was like this whole thing. But they were also like, oh, he's not gone completely. I don't know. I mean, you know, after one day, it doesn't fully set in. For sure. Yeah. So hearing that this is what's happening, a team of Sherpas was quickly mobilized to rescue Lincoln, but they wouldn't get to him for another four hours. And Lincoln had already slipped back into his delirious state. These things can happen extremely quickly at that height, slipping into unconsciousness, coma, dying very quickly. So the fact that Lincoln had survived that long was completely unheard of. Lincoln again started fighting people who were trying to save him. He ripped off his oxygen mask and tried standing, but he didn't get very far. 
and he unzipped his coat again because according to him, he wanted to get back up the mountain. So he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get to the summit guys. And they're like, he just, what? <laughs> the, the drive was very much there, but he already did it. Yeah. Right. Finally, around 1 PM, a team of two Sherpas arrived from camp to try and bring him back down, but they had just hiked four hours up there and now it's their job to bring him back down. So I can't even imagine how exhausting that this entire ordeal must have been. And they had no idea how fragile Lincoln really was. They managed to get him up and they tried putting an arm over each of their shoulders to stabilize him as he walked. But he only made it a few steps before collapsing in the snow once again. And not only that, but the Sherpas had to get him 7,000 feet back down the mountain. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a four-hour hike for them, you know? That's vertical feet, right? Yes, but for two Sherpas who do this a lot, like four hours for them. So think about him who's falling every couple of steps. Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah. So three hours later, Mike Dillon is at base camp knowing that the Sherpas have been with Lincoln for three hours, but not knowing where they are or what's going on. But he knew that Lincoln had about a 50% chance of making it back. So still... 50-50 is pretty good. I guess, but it's not great either, you know? I mean, not great, but I mean, he was dead yesterday. That's true. We'll take glass half full. You know? <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. By this time, it was now dark once again, and Lincoln is moving painfully slow down this mountain. And the Sherpas know that now their lives are on the line as well. So every time he falls, they're telling Lincoln to get back up and move and go faster because now all three of them could die. They pushed him extremely hard because they had to, and they were prepared to do anything. One of them even hit Lincoln with their ice pick to get him to go because they're like, I mean, bitch, I'm tired. I will whip you if it means you live. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were extremely tired. They're risking their lives. They're trying to pull a man who keeps falling every three steps through Mount Everest. Like, this is no small feat. And they're right. they're over it, to, to say the very yeah, least. Yeah, if you smack him with an ice pick, you're over it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> they didn't want to be there. <laughs> Just, but, uh, could you imagine, like, a Target cashier being able to do this to their customer? <laughs> <laughs> We've been checking you out for 20 minutes. Get it going. Get the card out. Smacks them in the face. The world would be a really interesting place if we could just smack each other in the face willy-nilly. But anyway, uh, point being, these Sherpas didn't want to be there, and they also didn't want to leave him again, so they're like, fuck, guys, come on. Like, Lincoln, <laughs> pull it together, man. But it was so painstakingly slow because Lincoln would take a few steps and then fall and then they'd pull him up and then they'd, he'd take a few steps and then fall. And this rinse and repeat for hours, like so long. Ten hours since they started their rescue, Lincoln was losing his battle with cerebral edema and hypothermia. And he fell one last time and he couldn't stand back up. And he even told the Sherpas to leave him there. But they didn't take that for an answer. They're like, listen, Lincoln. You get up. Yeah, I mean, you 10 you, hours. Yeah. We're not done. Exactly. So they pulled him up once again and slung his arms over their shoulders again and literally pulled him forward and dragged his nearly lifeless body through the snow. He was able to take little steps, but he was mostly slumped over and like dead weight. And finally, they turned a corner and made it back to base camp. They came past a turn in the trail and finally saw the tents in the snow. And that was when Lincoln finally felt like he was going to survive this. Although he was so exhausted, he didn't have any energy to actually celebrate. And at the North Call camp, he was treated by a Russian doctor, Andrei Solivanov. The next day, he was well enough to go to the advanced base camp, although suffering from frostbite and the lingering effects of cerebral edema. And he actually lost the tips of eight of his fingers and one of his toes to frostbite. The design of his boots partly explained why Lincoln lost a toe. They can actually restrict the amount of blood flow in your foot, especially if you're in a hypothermic situation, because they're, like, very... Tight? Well, yeah, tight, but also, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they're not flexible. What's the opposite of flexible? Hello? Hollow. <laughs> I just knocked on my head. What am I... What's the word? Stiff. Stiff. Thank you. They're very stiff, and they got big, big spikes. 
and big, his big. big big and his boots are actually these boots the ones that he climbed mount everest in are actually in a museum today because <laughs> it's like really? a whole thing yeah after everest lincoln remained close with miles osborne who sacrificed his only attempt at Everest to aid him in that you know final climbing party to try yeah. to get to the summit. I was going to ask, are there any other ever any people who like will see somebody and be like, oh, I paid 70K, like fuck this guy. I'm sure. Like he's done anyway. I mean, I'm sure there are people like that. Can't imagine. But I mean, honestly, I think it would be cooler to be like, I saved, somebody. saved someone's life on Mount Everest. I mean, you got like within a few thousand feet of the peak. Yeah. Probably good enough. Yeah, you honestly, know, like... Mean, you, you might die yourself on the way back down anyway. Right, like, wouldn't you want to talk to someone who was like, yeah, I saved someone's life on Mount Everest? Yeah, I don't know, but just just don't have enough faith in humanity these days. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, I but... <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I'm sure there are people that have that mindset where they're like, I paid my... I saved forever, and this is my only chance, and I'm gonna... Nothing's gonna stop me because people die here all the time, you know? True. But, um... Yeah, who are the Sherpas, though? I mean, they're the real heroes. Oh, yeah. 100%. And when Miles Osborne was asked about Lincoln, he said he was a great guy, really laid back, with a penchant for bad jokes. So, that's fun. Little dad joke? Yeah. Love a dad joke. (laughs) We know. But Lincoln said, My Christian and Muslim friends called it a miracle. My climbing friends say I'm a lucky bastard. And my Buddhist friends say I must have more to do on this earth. And Lincoln is a Buddhist himself. He attributed his survival to a higher power, a deep experience as a mountaineer, training in deep breathing, meditation, and the team that found him. So there's that. And if Hall hadn't lived, he would have been the 12th person to die that year on Everest during one of the deadliest climbs of the season on the mountain. He wrote two books about that experience. Uh, one called Dead Lucky, Life After Death on Mount Everest in 2007, and Alive in the Death Zone, Mount Everest Survival in 2008. And Lincoln did tragically die on March 20th, 2012, at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney after suffering from a rare cancer called mesothelioma. He had been exposed to asbestos while working as a builder in the 1960s, and he died from that. From the 60s? That's how he goes? Yeah. Ah, that's fucked up. And his wife and two sons did obviously survive him. um, But... I mean, at least they got... Six more years. Six more years of him, but... Yeah. That's so tragic. It is. It's extremely sad. But Lincoln had climbed over 40 mountains in seven countries, along with his two Everest climbs. His most challenging achievements had have been his voyage in a small yacht to Antarctica to make the first ascent of remote Mount Minto and the first ascent of the south face of Annapurna II, at the time the highest unclimbed mountain face in the world. He was the chief organizer for the first Australian Everest expedition, which established a new route on the North Face without supplementary oxygen, which which we talked about in the beginning, although he turned back short of the summit, and he was awarded a medal of the Order of Australia for his role in the five-man expedition. He also wrote six other books. Among them, biographies and a novel, he has written documentary scripts and has been the editor and managing editor for two adventure magazines. And Lincoln was also a founding director, along with his wife Barbara, of the Australian Himalayan Foundation, which is dedicated to improving the lives of Himalayan peoples and their environments. So he's a pretty stellar guy, if you ask me. Yeah, what a life. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that is the story of Lincoln Hall. Pour one out seriously the whole dying almost dying thing is not cool but he uh he finally got to do what he wanted to do you know he summoned yeah. the highest mountain in the world 100 percent. you know at age 50 yeah dude i really would like to know what it felt like to be at the top and how long how long do you get to stay up there like 20 minutes for, uh, do you get to sit on the summit for 20 minutes well i mean that's really the only amount of time you can be up there safely you know yeah no but i'm just saying like just such a short amount of time yeah i mean it's not a safe place to be it's an extremely dangerous place place to be yeah actually there was a um a 16 year old on that expedition as well who was like being followed by a documentary like they were trying to make a documentary of like the youngest person ever to summit mount everest and they didn't summit but lincoln did 
So that's cool. I'm just thinking, like, he's passing out the 16-year-old. He's like... <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day. Try again. <laughs> try again when you're 50. Yeah, try again 43 years from now. Yeah. Math? That sounds... Math? That's not right. No. 34. But, sure. There you um, go. But anyway, we had a rough start in the beginning, but we got we got there. Yeah. I mean, anyway, what's your good right thing? Down. My good thing this week is... Two. I have two good things. Good. I'm going home this week for Christmas. Love that. And happy holidays. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I got coffee grounds from Phil's Coffee. Not spawn. <laughs> oh, no. We are not sponsored, but it is really good coffee. <laughs> it is good coffee. Hell yeah. My good thing is that we had uh, pizza and wings with our friends last night, uh, and it was really nice. Oh, yes. Give me some fried shit. Yeah. It was It was sauce. honestly good pizza, and there was good homemade ranch, and we had yep. good yep. good friends, good times. Yeah. So that was really nice. Yeah, I could really not nice. hear anything yesterday. <laughs> How many things did I, like, mishear? I think somebody said pretty. I misheard it as witty. And then it's just like I couldn't hear anything all night because it's just like noise in the background. That's all right. I have terrible hearing and I, I only do the like, what did you say? Like twice you're, before I'm like, like oh, cool. Like you got to go yes or yeah, laugh. Exactly. And it's 50-50. Yeah. But most of the time it works. You're yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's my go-to. You're so funny. I just have terrible hearing. I don't know what it is. And also the masks really don't too. help. Yeah, I know. Oh, but anyway. Although we didn't have masks <laughs> restaurant yeah no, no that, well there was no excuse for that one but i'm i'm saying in general but anyway true oh thank you guys so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this scatterbrained episode uh if you'd like to look at all the pictures we post including the one with the little powdered wig check out our instagram at not today underscored podcast if you or anyone you know has a story of survival of your own that you'd like to share with us and possibly here on a upcoming listeners episode, send it to us at notodaypodcast at gmail.com. Especially if you tried to summit Mount Everest. Shit, that yeah. That would be cool. Or you ha- were in a, an electrical storm on a mountain that had to get helicoptered yeah. off. That sounds pretty you know. sick. Or, you know, something else. I'm fine with that. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, or... If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, follow us at Not Today Podcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because it makes sense. And we have a TikTok that is Not Today Podcast. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.